one of our staff who's a recent college graduate when she was on our Zoom call, she was like in her childhood bedroom, you know, all these pictures behind her on the wall. And she's like, yeah, it's mostly One Direction. And I was like, oh, yeah, I had a shrine to Ethan Hawke. And I was like, you probably don't know who that is. And then Darren was teasing me. He's like, you mean the dad in The Purge? Because <laughs> I'm a good, like, almost 20 years older than some of our staff. Oh, man. Yeah. It's so weird now. I'm like, no, I'm only a few years older than you kids. Like, no, no, no. (laughs) I'm hip. I'm with it. I'm with it. (laughs) And even that reference, they probably would not get. I am. That's so old. Sure. Welcome to Semi Together, a podcast about having some of your life together all of the time. It's about working on where you want to get it together while giving yourself credit for where you've got it together. I'm Malia Dicker, and I'm in Jackson, Mississippi. And I'm her sister, Jillian Burgess, and I live in Barcelona, Spain. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Megan Clapton, a licensed professional counselor and the founder of Mindful Therapy in the Jackson area. We'll talk to Megan about mindfulness, resilience, and coping techniques to help us through difficult times. A bit about Megan. In her practice, she uses mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy to help clients develop positive coping skills, build resilience, and increase self-efficacy. Megan also does workplace consulting for universities and companies and hosts meditation and creativity retreats and art meditation workshops. During the COVID-19 quarantine, she's been meeting with clients virtually and sharing tips on social media about finding calm during this difficult time. We are so excited to talk to you, Megan. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. And it helps me so much to have something to do with purpose right now. I know that's hard to find for a lot of people. Definitely. We're really happy you've joined us for this conversation. So first of all, how are you doing with everything that's going on? I know it's a a tough time for everyone, and we're super grateful to health professionals like you for all of the work you're doing. Well, I am on the very back lines. I'm so impressed and lucky to know some of my clients that are working in emergency departments and ICUs right now. So uh, any drop of help I can be, I just feel grateful to do it. And again, I get a lot of purpose and meaning in my life from doing the work I do. So it's really a two-way street. I'm doing okay. (laughs) I I ask my clients, how are you doing? But it feels silly to ask that now because Mm -hmm. everything changes. I'm okay one minute and I'm terrified the next. So just knowing that things are temporary and emotions aren't temporary kind of helps me get through right now. Yeah, no one's really okay right now. So the how are you doing question is kind of an interesting one right now. Yeah, it does change minute to minute. Well, mindfulness helps and your practice specializes in mindfulness. So tell us what mindfulness is and how it can help us through times of stress and anxiety like these. You have said we are all being forced to practice mindfulness in this time of coronavirus. We are. You know, mindfulness is really, I think of it as two things. It's a philosophy and it's a practice. Mindfulness philosophy is about paying attention on purpose and being fully present in whatever we're doing, whether we're talking to a friend or we're at a conference for work or we're walking or breathing, is paying attention to what is in front of us. It's sort of anti-multitasking, which so many people are addicted to right now. I think this is a great time because there's not a lot to do and we're not multitasking so much during the day that we can practice being in the moment. The practice of mindfulness is breathing techniques. It's a form of meditation. 
I would say the Bible of mindfulness or certainly clinical mindfulness is called Full Catastrophe Living. And I love the title of that book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds appropriate for right now. <laughs> it's from John Kabat-Zinn wrote the book on clinical mindfulness. Like how do you use mindfulness with psychotherapy and certain medical issues? But he got the title of the book from Zorba the Greek. And it's a description of Zorba walking into his house and his wife's burning dinner and the family's everywhere. His grandmother lives with him, his mother, four or five kids running around. And he says, I love my life and all its full catastrophe. And that is, <laughs> open, that. <laughs> that's open hearted, mindful acceptance. So I found that book when I was going through my own sort of unknown medical self-isolation period. My husband and I went on a honeymoon and got very sick from a unknown parasite. It put me into organ Mm -hmm. failure. I've had to have two hip replacements. It took me out for about four years. And, you know, I'm just going back to that time right now. And it sounds silly, but I was so grateful that it happened to me because I learned so much about myself. It informed the way I do therapy and and the way I look at the world. And I, I didn't have control when I was in that situation. We didn't know if I was going to live or die. There wasn't a treatment. We were just living in the moment. And I remember sitting in the MRI machine and noticing I was gonna be stuck in there. If I moved or freaked out, I had to start over again. So I wanted to find some tools to let me tolerate and accept what is happening. And that book, Full Catastrophe Living, came just floating from a cloud into my arms. And so I really used my isolation, my medical uncertainty to practice mindfulness. And now I just think the whole world has that opportunity. So what have you carried with you from that time? Is there anything that you're using from that specifically in this quarantine? You know, I think it's just about focusing on the things that you can control. Anxiety is about control. We have no control over the coronavirus other than sitting at home. So what are the things we can change? What are the things we can do to tolerate? So often myself, my clients want to push away bad emotions. We want to push away fear. We are addicted to busyness. Busyness is such a toxic culture right now. So in a way, it is a good thing that we can't be so busy. People always ask, what are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. And so we don't, we can't have that answer right now. Busyness Mm -hmm. distracts from suffering. I think when I was sick, I had to realize that I had to sit in pain, sit in emotional pain, sit in physical pain and accept and tolerate it, whether I wanted to or not. And the way I dealt with that was, you know, trying to bring joy in the day, just little spots of joy. Are there things that are helping you right now to kind of find those spots of joy? You know, I think giving yourself permission to do what feels right at the time. I need about 20 coping skills right now. Some of them are healthy. Some of them aren't. (laughs) I need my coffee. I need my wine sometimes. I need Netflix as a coping skill. I also need to create. So I think just listening to your intuition about what you want to do. And if sometimes your intuition says, don't do anything, that's good too. 
Yeah, I've been finding myself scrolling through social media more. It's kind of a numbing behavior, and I'm aware of it at least. And like when I housed a bunch of my favorite potato chips yesterday, I did so with awareness. I had a moment where I'm like, will this make me feel better? I'm like, yes, it yes, will. Yes, it will. Going for it. <laughs> just do what you need to do right now. Right, and just sure. having balancing things, you know, having a balance of, okay, I did one thing that maybe wasn't so good, so let me balance by something that is good for me, whether mm-hmm. big or small. You know, right now people aren't feeling very productive. And those of us that are lucky to work, we have that little escape route. In mindfulness, we talk about the difference between being a human being and a human doing. Mm -hmm. And when I was sick and isolating 10, 15 years ago, I was stripped away of all the things I thought that were important, like my job title, my social engagements, my philanthropy, even seeing my family. So being in that mode of human being versus human doing. We have so many times where we are defined by what we do. But then you think about it and who do we like? We like people for who they are, not for what they do for us. So just remembering and giving ourselves grace that we are not what we produce. Absolutely. That's something that Malia and I have talked about in previous episodes, how we tend to equate our personal value with our productivity, which I think is a problem a lot of us have in this day and age. And it's especially hard right now when so many of us are dealing with work uncertainty or trying to parent, homeschool, and work from home at the same time. So do you have any advice for people to try to let go of this idea and try to lean into the non-doing or non-striving? You know, scheduling time to just sit, again, that's what mindfulness is about, and doing a mindfulness-based stress reduction technique, which would be a five senses check-in. What am I seeing? What am I smelling? What am I tasting? What am I touching? What am I hearing? So doing a five senses check-in about your surroundings and just being part of the environment, being an observer, This sounds a little silly, but the other day I was sitting outside and I didn't want to read. I didn't want to scroll through the internet. I didn't have anyone to talk to to entertain me. I was sick of everything, so I just went outside and sat. And all of a sudden I saw this little green lizard coming by and he was molting off his skin. And I just Mm -hmm. thought, what a great thing to witness. When's the last time I've watched a little lizard walk across the wall? And there is a value in that. There is a value in participating in our world like that. Yeah, I've been finding that with our kids too. You know, I've been fighting them so much around these homeschooling work plans that we finally let go of. But in the in-between times, they've been watching lizards walk across our window outside, the pane of glass, and then these tiny little mud nests that Evan, my son, found in the windowsill. And he's like, what are these? So we Googled it and learned about potter wasps, which I'd never heard of before. Oh. And so it was like, there's your education, you know, there's your mindfulness. That is <laughs> like, yeah, like a lot of science. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to follow up on the medical quarantine you went through. I'm just trying to picture what that was like. I was taking very high dose immune suppressants, so I had no immune system. I really had to just isolate and I just created an interior world. You know, I think it's important to have a routine, but because I'm a seven on the Enneagram, committing to a time routine in the day makes me crazy. (laughs) So the way I kind of deal with it is just, what do I feel like I need to get accomplished? It might be nothing, but having an interior world where you can have some kind of meaning, gardening, 
you know, reaching out to other people. I don't think Zoom existed 10 years ago. It might have. Mm. We certainly didn't FaceTime. So just reaching out to people, but also getting to know myself. This time of isolation is a wonderful experiment for us to get to know ourselves and not push back feelings and be curious about what makes us happy in the day and what brings us energy. Well, you've talked about how in challenging moments, emotions come in waves. And I know that for us in the span of a few hours or minutes, we can go from hope to despair or gratitude to frustration. So how can we learn to ride those waves without getting dragged too far down by any one of them? Well, practicing mindfulness again is paying attention to your emotions at the time, not pushing them back, not denying them, but feeling them and knowing that they're temporary then that it's okay to feel bad. I think a lot of people now don't want to feel depressed, don't want to feel anxious, but that is part of being human. We're missing out on the whole human emotional range if you don't experience sadness and you don't feel scared. I think it can be tempting to label some of those emotions as bad. You know, I don't want to feel sad. I don't want to feel anxiety, but those are very real right now, especially. So it is hard to kind of lean into those sometimes, I think. I think, you know, also just taking the literal act of surfing waves, which I used to do a long time ago before I had two hip replacements. But, (laughs) you know, what what do surfers need to ride waves? You need a little bravery and you need balance. It's all about balance. And so, again, balancing emotions, balancing activities, balancing all of the things in our life balancing alone time versus reaching out to friends. So I think really think it's about making balance and we can control that. That is something we can do in our day is have balance. Yeah, and it's so different for everyone. You've got to kind of find your own formula. Like my husband is a five on the Enneagram and pretty introverted. So he socially is okay during this time, but I'm missing my friends a lot more. So I need to make more of an intentional effort to connect with people and have that be part of my balance. Yeah, I'm a seven on the Enneagram as well, and my husband is as well. He's an extrovert, pure extrovert, and I'm an ambivert, but being quarantined together has actually worked out pretty well. We're able to entertain each other, (laughs) but lots of Zoom dates as well because we are missing our people. So I I like some of the alone time. It can be nice, but then I get a little stir crazy. So figuring out why I'm feeling crabby and trying to address that. And being curious about yourself. Why, why am I feeling crabby? I mean, this mm-hmm. is such a good opportunity that we have where we are slowed down to be curious. I wonder why I have reactions like this. I wonder why I'm scared to start a meditation practice. A lot of my clients, I, I'm a meditation pusher. Absolutely, I have an agenda. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I also accept that it's, you know, just sometimes it's not the right time for people to start. And people love to use the word busy. I'm too busy. I don't have three minutes to sit in a chair. I don't have 10 minutes to practice mindfulness. But this is calling our bluff. Right. We certainly have more time around the house than we used to. (laughs) (laughs) What does your own meditation practice look like, Megan? It, and I, I will be honest, it is a discipline and it's all over the place. Sometimes I sit for 20 minutes in the morning Sometimes I sit at 20 minutes at night. I try to sit for 20 minutes at least, but I worked up to that. And again, this all came from when I was sick and medically isolated. I didn't have anything else to do. 
So sitting with my breath for 20 minutes is something that I love to do, but sometimes I'm not in the mood. Sometimes I need to use an app where I need, where someone tells me when to breathe in and breathe out. Sometimes I need to watch a lizard walk across the wall, and sometimes I need to sit formally. So it's kind of all over the place, but that is why I've had success in the long term is because I, I have a varied practice. And again, that's my personality and something that I need. That's interesting. I haven't heard someone talk about it that way before or try different things at different times instead of having one set practice that you do every single day the same way. Again, using the wave metaphor here, we're on our little boats and we have some tsunamis. We have some rough waters happening. You know, mindfulness, I, I say it's an anchor drop. Let me just be still and then bring that anchor back up and ride those emotional waves again. I like that metaphor. Yeah, I've been trying to meditate more in the mornings, and it can definitely be a struggle sometimes, but even just having a five-minute period of time where I'm sitting, usually with an app, does help me. So it's nice to hear that your practice is varied and that you kind of are able to adapt to how you're feeling at the moment. You know, I I have what I call shiny object syndrome. (laughs) And so sometimes when I'm feeling that kind of ADD brain, monkey brain going, I balance, I rein it in. I need a 20-minute meditation. I need that challenge. I need my brain to resettle. So I really just kind of listen through the day. You know, sometimes I practice five minutes in the morning, five minutes on lunch break, and then five minutes before I go to bed. I, I think that's a fine practice too. It's what works for you. The biggest thing Mm -hmm. is keeping with something. You also use cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT in your practice. And Malia and I have both found that CBT practices are really helpful in our lives. Can you tell us about CBT and how you use it to work with clients for their emotional challenges and personal goals and in particular during this time period? Yes. Cognitive behavioral therapy is widely considered the gold standard for a model of care and treatment. And that just means our actions and our thoughts. I like to think that the actions and our thoughts are the parents of emotion. So what we think and what we do brings emotion. The same way as emotion tells us what to think and what to do. So that's kind of our target. People that come in for therapy, they're wanting a change of behavior usually or a change of perspective. So we kind of separate those two and say, you know, what is your internal dialogue? What are your automatic thoughts? How come your brain tends to go towards catastrophic thinking, for example? And then when you have those thoughts and feelings, how does it affect your behavior? We're really looking at the communication of thoughts, actions, and emotions. My own therapist practices CBT as well on some of those cognitive distortions, like the always and never thinking, you know, the, the ones that I just sort of do automatically and take for granted, <laughs> just servicing those, you know, and having someone else mirror that back to me has been really helpful. You know, we want you to train yourself with CBT. So, for example, everyone is having this emotion, which is worry. We're all very worried. And the thought that comes with that emotion is, I'm going to get the virus. That's the automatic thought. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get sick and something bad is going to happen. So when we have that thought and that emotion, our behavior is panic buying toilet paper. (laughs) So I realize that maybe that behavior isn't, one, helpful to me, and two, isn't maybe the correct behavior. Let me look at my behavior. Actually, if I'm really worried about getting the virus, 
which I am, I'm immune suppressed. What can I do? Well, my behaviors can be health behaviors. I can have my green juice, take my immunity vitamins, go for a walk. So looking at the options of behaviors is another part of CBT, of like what are the things you could do and which actions will lead you to a place of peace. Right. And then it helps you focus on the things that you can control with your actions and then try to let go of the ones you can't. That's why mindfulness works so well with CBT, because it is about the mindful philosophy, which is basic Buddhism, non-judging, beginner's mind, non-striving. And then it's also a practice or a behavior, which is the breathing techniques and the meditation. So it's a really good fit for uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Well, are there any particular resources around these topics, like books or tools that you'd recommend for getting through this time without losing our minds? Well, I think we have to have lots of tools in our toolbox, whether it's writing down our self-dialogue or our worries, changing our behaviors, certainly reading. I'm going back to books that I loved and books that I went and read when I was very sick. I love the Calm app. Headspace, Mm -hmm. whichever meditation app, it's well worth it. A lot of them are giving discounts right now, I believe. Mm -hmm. I know if you're a healthcare provider, you can get Headspace for free. I also love, again, Full Catastrophe Living. It's a pretty large book and it's fascinating. So I love to read that if you want to do a deep dive. An easy book to go to, easy read for mindfulness and anxiety is called Calming Your Anxious Mind by Jeffrey Brantley. And it's very simple. You can pick it up, do a kind of week by week book for mindfulness. I am really reading a lot of Pima Chandran. Mm -hmm. She wrote one of my favorite books, When Things Fall Apart. Yes. Maria has been reading that again as well right now, (laughs) right? Now her new book, of course, right on time is called Welcoming the Unwelcome. Yes. And so I am reading a lot of that. My last book that I love is There's a Spiritual Solution to Every Problem by mm-hmm. self-help guru uh, Wayne Dyer. And it's a little hippy-dippy, but I, so am I. So I really <laughs> loved that book. It's just about trying to practice acceptance and compassion to yourself. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a great. great reading list ahead of me. Yeah, I, I will definitely add all of those to my list. You know, and another thing <laughs> I, I really want to encourage, too, is that there isn't an answer and it is good to turn to different resources, but this is also a great opportunity to turn to yourself because you know how to calm yourself. You know how to take care of yourself. We all do. It's in there. So sometimes, you know, I want to balance all the information download versus sitting with myself. Yeah, that's a really good point. So there used to be a certain amount of stigma around therapy and mental health care in general, but it seems like that's changing and people are becoming more open about talking about how important it is to care for our mental health. So have you experienced that shift and where do you hope that we can go from here? I have, you know, I've I've been in practice almost 15 years now, which sounds crazy, Mm -hmm. but you know, those 15 years in practice have changed so much. People would want to sneak into the office or only want early morning appointments or after work appointments because they didn't want to ask for that time off. Mm -hmm. And now I see people when they accept new jobs, hey, once a month, I'm going to be gone for an hour. I have a therapist and it's the way I take care of myself. And 
that just makes me so happy because normalizing therapy is so important. A lot of people think you have to have some weird or very upsetting problem or specific trauma you need to quote unquote get over. And that model has changed. Mm -hmm. I think people see, and I hope to advertise myself as more of a Sherpa. Mm -hmm. You know, Sherpas help people climb Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. Sherpas have been to the mountain before. I've been in suffering before. Mm -hmm. I can't climb the mountain for you, but I can show you the ropes. I can give you water. I can remind you to rest. It's just a companion through suffering. So I hope that people are kind of seeing that it's more of an assistant role than an expert role. Yeah, I think the actual image, too, of therapists and media is, is changing. And the original one, I feel like, was more of like a Buddha on the mountaintop almost, but in an armchair who's like nodding and taking notes while clients are sharing their deepest vulnerabilities without sort of a conversation back and forth. And in my experience, my therapist is so wonderful about having a two-way conversation. And she's got young kids as well. And so from her experience, I learn a lot. And also that she's not perfect and is working on these things all the time, which makes me value her guidance a lot more than if she were just like, oh, well, I've got this all figured out. And if I had struggles, then they're behind me. So I wondered, what's your approach to maintaining healthy boundaries with clients, but also being open and human? Well, you know, I live in a small southern town. And the idea that we have to be this kind of tabula rasa, this blank slate, that we can't have personality, that we have to be this authority figure, too many people know me from high school to know <laughs> that. Can't keep up that image. So, you know, my husband has a restaurant that, of course, I love to go to, and I see a lot of young people there. And mm -hmm. I just practice what I preach. I want my clients to be their authentic selves. I don't want them to play a role or put on. So I can't do that either. You know, if I see you at a concert, and I'm a, that's one of my big coping skills I'm missing right now is live music. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I hope you are dancing as much as you want, and I will be too. <laughs> so, you know, having a boundary, it's been hard, certainly, because I want to help. That's my nature. And I've had to kind of balance, you know, when I need to cut that off. So I really turn off. I've gotten good at turning off. If I see a client out, I can smile, say hello if they do, but I don't have my work brain on thinking about, oh, well, her father didn't mm -hmm. give her enough love when she was growing up. I don't think about mm -hmm. that when I leave the office. Mm -hmm. I wondered, going back to your quarantine experience, were you already in training or practicing as a therapist at that time, or did that experience help send you in that direction? You know, I had a religion and philosophy major and an art major in college. So I, there were not a lot of church fresco painters job openings. So I went, I stumbled, <laughs> I just stumbled into counseling. I had a great teacher. I think this is how so many people that see some potential and suggested that, that I try to take some grad classes. So I went and I actually had finished my master's degree and was seeing clients when I did get sick. And that mm -hmm. was the hardest to let go of. And again, mindfulness is about letting go. And I had to let go of my clients. I had to let go of my identity, my achievement. I had to let go of this big, bright future I thought I was going to have, and now everything's ruined. It was tough. I definitely had learned a little bit about mindfulness. This was in 
2004. So I had sort of talked about it and I thought, yeah, it's this really great thing and deep breathing's great for you. But I didn't really know it until I had my own suffering that I couldn't escape from. Mm-hmm. And do you have any self-care practices that you rely on? I know you've talked about meditation and some of those practices, but there are other things that you turn to in times of stress to care for yourself. You know, there's so many, and I encourage everybody to sit and write an inventory down of the things that make you feel good. I guess I could list off many of them, but the way I focus is doing one good thing for, or caring for my mind, caring for my body, caring for my spiritual self, and caring for others. And those are the four things I want to get done in a day. They can be as small as... Sometimes my mind, I want to watch, you know, Netflix, and that's okay for 30 minutes. Sometimes I need to do meditation for my mind. Sometimes I need to read a book for my mind. Sometimes I need to do a crossword for my body. Sometimes I need to eat healthy, going on a walk, taking a bath, caring for your body, taking vitamins. For spirit, you know, it's reading your favorite devotional or your favorite self-help book or you know, doing something creative, being outside, anything that lifts your spirit. And others is just communicating and reaching out to one person a day, whether it's a text or a funny meme on Instagram, but it's just having some kind of connection. It can be going to the soup kitchen and serving others. It's some kind of way to reach out because we need others. That's the way that we take care of ourselves. Other people are a mirror to us to say, who are we? What kind of person are we? Other people tell us that. I heard you talk about that, connecting with mind and body and spirit on the webinar with Kristen Lay and Ginger Williams Cook. And I thought it was such a great idea that I made myself a little work plan, printed it out and would give myself little stamps just because I really like having that framework and to make sure I was taking care of myself each day. So I'll post that in the show notes if that's helpful to anyone else. It's a great framework. You know, if I have a problem or let's say I'm just feeling super anxious, this is before coronavirus or I'm just sometimes you just have feelings and you don't know why or where they are and so I kind of look how am I taking care of my mind how am I taking care of my body how am I nourishing my spirit how am I nourishing others and generally by looking kind of at that quadrant I can say oh I've been really heavy in my mind I've been really heavy with others I haven't taken care of my body so it kind of can give you a road map of like where do I need to go first Yeah, help you with that balance you talked about. Well, speaking of the webinar with Kristen and Ginger, you have led or co-led some mindfulness sessions at retreats and workshops and webinars. And, you know, Kristen, for our listeners, was a guest on episode 10 of Semi Together. So what is the value of getting out of our normal routine and carving out this kind of dedicated space? And how can we do that while quarantined? Well, our brain craves novelty. That's what burnout is, is doing the same thing all the time we get burned out. Mm -hmm. If you had the same Mm -hmm. meal every day, you would get burned out and not have the taste for it. If you're doing the same thing every day, you're not gonna get that satisfaction. So for me, again, because I'm a seven on the Enneagram, I need varied creative things to do. So, you know, I, I think again, going back to the time, being curious about yourself, what are you interested in? What have you always wanted to do, but you were nervous that you would fail? 
whether it's drawing or learning a new language or sitting still. It helps our brain to have balance. We are in our little monkey brain, our amygdala, our central nervous system is completely overwhelmed right now with information, with worry. So it's again, finding balance, getting into that frontal lobe part of the brain when you're drawing or creating or cooking or baking. I say our modern life is like CrossFit for our amygdala. So (laughs) we are super strong in one area of our brain and very weak in others. So we need to kind of as a brain exercise and for brain health, have that novelty. And what it is for you, it's trial and error process, really. It's been interesting to see the things that people turn to for that creative release or novelty. Like I have friends who love to sew or knit or others who make music or like to bake or, you know, just color in adult coloring books. But it does seem to be a common thread that we all kind of turn to making something or or doing something creative as a way to self-soothe. And any repetitive action is very soothing for the central nervous system, too. I mean, very soothing. That knitting, those are mindfulness practices. If you're just knitting and knitting, that's a mindfulness practice. If you're knitting and watching TV and you're on the phone, that, that doesn't, that's not the sweet spot that we need. Yeah, I find that playing guitar and singing or doing Zumba, just something where I can't be ruminating at the same time. It's just so helpful to not be up in my head for just 10 minutes even. Yes. Something where I can't be checking the news or social media while I'm doing it is helpful. Yes. Your hands are dirty. You can't touch your phone. (laughs) Yes. It's one of the reasons I like cooking. (laughs) I can't be doing all those other things on screens. Yeah. On my agenda today is bake brownies. (laughs) Oh, that's a great one. Yes. I made cookies this weekend and it was an excellent thing to do. (laughs) Self-soothe. Then you have the good treats as well. (laughs) Yes. Double the reward. We win. (laughs) So Megan, we like to ask our guests to share a steal this tip, a practice related to self-care, mental health, or setting goals. So do you have a steal this tip, Megan Clapton edition to share? I do. And I didn't invent this tip at all, but I use it a lot in my practice. And it's the simple four, seven, eight breath. A four, seven, eight breath is a wonderful way to start doing mindful breathing or uh, meditation. If people are just a little too nervous to take the leap into full meditation and they want to understand how healthy and wonderful and soothing breath work is this is a great and easy thing it's good for the mind because it can distract you from whatever's going on and it's good for the body because it allows oxygen to get into your blood it allows circulation to help all of those panic kind of feelings body feelings are really helped with a four seven eight breath so When we say four, seven, eight, I mean breathing in for four seconds through your nose. It's almost like your nose is a vacuum cleaner and you're sucking up all the air in that big four seconds. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to hold it for seven. So for seven seconds, counting in your head, you just hold the breath. You're not puffed up like a balloon. You're just sitting with air in your lungs. And then, and this is the good part. For eight seconds, you begin to blow slowly out of your mouth, almost like there's a straw in your mouth and you're trying to blow out a candle across the room. So it's a, it's a whoosh sound and it's eight seconds. So that eight seconds helps calm our central nervous system. It helps our amygdala, our fight or flight part of our brain 
kind of relax a little bit. So just a four, seven, eight breath. It's easy to remember. I like that. You can practice it anytime. When you were asking about what my meditation practice is, sometimes I skip my formal meditation, but I do four, seven, eight breathing throughout the day. I try to do it when I go to the bathroom. That's a place that, you know, you're visiting a few times a day and you can just add a few of those in there. I do it before I walk from my car to my office. And then when I come home, I drive in my garage, close my garage door, and I do a few four, seven, eight breaths just to get me settled and calm so I can walk into my house, not in a frenzy. Yeah, those times of transition are really great times so you can shift and be ready for the next thing. Right. And that's such a quick thing that you can do without, you know, sitting down for 20 minutes. It feels very accessible to start with that. And you can feel the effects immediately, especially in this time right now where just out of nowhere, you'll be hit with panic. Mm -hmm. I I certainly Mm -hmm. am like that. Out of nowhere, I just get really anxious. We're reminded of what's Mm -hmm. happening. I just... I greet it with a four, seven, eight breath. I'm going to start trying that as well. I've tried the square breathing, the four, the four, 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 but I like the idea of having that big whoosh of air out. Yes, it's relieving to our bodies. Yes. It relaxes all the tension in our heads and our necks. Yeah, pressure release valve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like on the Instant Pot, you know, when you <laughs> release that pressure. We yeah. are in pressure cookers. <laughs> so true. <laughs> well, Megan, I know you're seeing your current clients by telehealth, video calls, I'm assuming. And would you also be open to seeing folks who are listening outside of the Jackson area if they need a session, especially during this time? You know, absolutely. I see clients all over the country by telehealth anyway. Mm-hmm. I certainly love to have someone in my office. There's there's some magic in that with just being in a space together and holding a place together. But mm-hmm. I do. I have two other wonderful mindfulness-based therapists that work with me, and we are you know, pivoting and trying to meet the needs of our clients. And we are absolutely accepting new people all the time. We get a lot of meaning out of being helpful and useful right now. And your Instagram account has been just great for us. Both of us follow it and really enjoy what you pose. So yeah, tell us, you know, where people can find you online. Sure. Our clinic is Mindful Therapy and our Instagram handle is just Mindful Therapy. And then I'm Mindful Therapy, Megan Clapton on Facebook. And that's kind of where we are. That's, that's all I can handle. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. I know. And and, it's funny. There's a a lot of pressure. There's so many great therapy Instagram accounts. And my fellow therapist and I talk, you know, there's a lot of pressure right now to come up with something meaningful and helpful. And it's hard. We didn't have this book. In school, we learned how to deal with trauma and crisis, but not prolonged exposure like this. So, you know, all we can do again, going back to kind of that Sherpa idea is like we can walk along with you and Mm -hmm. there is some healing that happens just by having a person. We really appreciate the work you do. Even just following your Instagram account has been a bright spot in in my day. Oh, thank you. And ditto. And you're podcast is so helpful. You know, again, y'all are just so genuine and relatable. That's the new approach to helping each other is community mental health right now. Oh, thank you. We appreciate that so much. Thank you. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us. We were really looking forward to this conversation and really had a good time talking with you. I know. I feel calmer and more equipped to deal with things now. So thank you. Same. (laughs) Well, I appreciate um, talking to you guys. And I feel like we are friends, but we just haven't done the IRL yet. So I'm really looking forward to that. Once it's all over, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Meet up. (laughs) Maybe in Barcelona. Yes. Yes. We will come to you. Perfect. (laughs) All right, Megan. Well, take care and hang in there. Thank you you so much. I appreciate y'all both. Now it's time for Get It Together, Got It Together, a segment where we share something we'd like to work on and something that's going well for us right now. Malia, would you like to go first? Sure will. Well, my get it together is staying compassionate and mustering the hope and energy it takes to hack Avery's sleep right now. Mm. Because, you know, before I talked about, you know, months ago, she was struggling with night waking and we'd sort of almost fully cracked that. And then the quarantine happened and she's had a lot of regressions as far as potty and clinginess and sleep. Definitely. I was ending up for the past month or so sleeping half the night in her twin bed with her. (laughs) And for a while it was okay because I would be up in the middle of the night anxious anyway and so just like cuddling her and she's so chubby and warm and you know so that was really comforting to me but then she started getting really active in her sleep and slapping me in the face and poking me in the eye (laughs) not (laughs) quite as restful (laughs) no it was not as soothing so now we're trying to train her and we made her a little fort under Evan's lofted bed and all these things but she's you know she's scared at night and I'm like really trying to muster that compassion because I know you know and I've read things that confirm that too that kids are, are scared and anxious and they're picking up yeah. on all these vibes, even though she doesn't know what's going on because she's only three. And I'm just like, okay, I know you're scared. And I was scared of the dark as a kid. I slept the light on for a long time, you know, so I'm getting mm-hmm. her night lights and all that. But at some point during the night when it's like the fifth time she's gotten up, I'm like, you know, very harsh and just like, I'm going to take away your tablet tomorrow and, you know, you better go to sleep. And I'm like, okay, just keep being compassionate and we are going to get through it even if I have to sleep back in her bed for a while or whatever on the couch in their room, you know, so... And also just having the hope that I know we will crack this at some point. Yes. yes. Oh, it's hard, though, because, you know, everything is so tough right now. And it's tough on both of you. But that lack of I sleep know. is, I can understand not being compassionate the fifth time, even though you want to be. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I will extend this get it together to just generally being kind of irritable and snappish mm-hmm. with the kids, especially Darren as well, but mostly the kids because they are like acting out and stuff. And I know this is super hard for them too. Yeah. you know, it's hard for all of us. And that's what I say. That's my first thing is like, I know this is hard for all of us. And that's yes. the first thing. And then sometimes it'll just keep escalating where I'm just like, ah, you know, and like yell at them. <laughs> so compassion, compassion and curiosity, you know, what's going on right now? Mm-hmm. What can we do to connect, you know? The three C's, yes. <laughs> compassion, <laughs> curiosity, connection. Oh, that's really anyway, tough, though. Yes. Well, my got it together was really hard to, <laughs> to think about. I'm like, really hard to come up with them this week. But we have been clearing out the front yard into a little sitting area because we had all this ground cover, this like prickly, pokey ground cover uh, that was there when we moved in. And we've lived here for, you know, two and a half years. And so we finally cleared all that out. And we're putting down pavers today, concrete squares. And we're going to buy little benches to sit out there. And it's just been this project that's kept us outdoors focused on a little corner of the world that we can control and then seeing that progress right away plus exercise and getting you know the anxiety living in your body Mm -hmm. getting that out so that's all been really healthy and good even though it's kind of a pain especially like the sun was beating down on us today (laughs) i was getting cranky like (laughs) why don't you just pay someone to do this but we did save ourselves a lot of money and it has been a really positive project for us as a family 
That's great. And then, yeah, seeing that before and after will be so satisfying, too. And being able to oh use that space for hanging out will be really wonderful. Yeah, especially during this quarantine time, just to get outside the four walls of our house and, you know, have a yes. glass of wine while the kids run around. It'll be really nice. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's a very good got together. Yes. Thank you. What about you, Jill? What's your get it together? Got it together? Oh, yeah. Get it together. It's like everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> All of the things. Where do I start? <laughs> yeah, so I will pick one. And then I've just been, you know, in a general funk, like most people are, I think, right now. Mm. And and then, of course, I will spin into like, why are you in a bad mood? You have it so much better than other people in that comparative suffering thing. That we've right. Listen about. to Brene Brown on comparative suffering. I will link to it in the show notes. It's, very <laughs> it's a helpful. reminder. Yes, cause... you're entitled to your feelings, even though everyone's suffering in different ways. Yes, exactly. We're all suffering in different ways. And in general, I can maintain optimism for part of the day and then I just Mm -hmm. get cranky and I get Mm -hmm. restless and I have a hard time doing anything. You know, I just don't want to do anything and then I'm cranky about it. So that's been a constant sort of challenge right now. I'm trying to figure out what my coping tools are and I have been trying to meditate some mornings. I have been exercising every day, which definitely helps because I wake Mm -hmm. up in a bad mood generally. I mean, Mm -hmm. always, but especially now. So (laughs) why am I awake (laughs) again? I'm a ray of sunshine in the morning. So (laughs) I have been exercising first thing and that really does help. So I'm just trying to find those sort of things that can reset me a little bit because like we've talked about before, it sometimes takes many, many resets in a day. And that's just where we are. But my got it together is I've been planning a lot of weekend cooking projects to look forward to. Mm. So that's been really nice. Like cooking is definitely one of my coping and relaxation techniques. And we have had lots of time at home. And weekends have actually been nice. Like weekdays, I think I've struggled more because I do have work to do. And then I also don't feel like doing anything and I feel cooped Mm up without having my regular routine and seeing friends. And Mm. weekends, I've been able to kind of just lean into the, well, we're home and it's been sunny outside. So Brian and I will sit and read and we'll clean the house and we'll do cooking projects and catch up with our friends and family on Zoom or or Skype. Mm -hmm. So that's been actually really nice. So last weekend, I was like, what project will take a long time and force me to be really meditative? (laughs) So we made pot stickers. Oh, yeah. I saw the picture. They looked so good. Yeah, I'll put a picture in the show notes. And they were delicious. And they did like take a while which was a nice sort of distraction. You know, you couldn't do anything else because your hands were covered in flour and (laughs) other things. So it was Mm -hmm. put on good music and had a nice couple hours making something delicious. And then we had leftovers for several days. So this weekend, I think we're going to make some Indian food, just find stuff that I'm excited about eating and then spend some time making it. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, just having a good variety of food and delicious food has been really good for our morale. Yeah. And most credit to Darren for doing most of the dinners. And I've been doing the lunches. So we have like paninis on the Foreman grill. It's been really great. Just like a nice lunch every day and a nice dinner. It really is something that's like a highlight. Something to look forward to. It is. Treating yourself well. It is. Yeah, we finally put up like a little, we have a cork board in our kitchen and and Brian did some hand lettering with like each day of the week and some, we have like little slips of paper we're kind of putting up for for meals because we mostly eat meals at home, but on weekends we generally will, you know, eat some meals out or do takeout, Mm -hmm. but now we're just, we're just here. So it's kind of nice to think like, okay, what do we want to do and move things around and make it something to look forward to rather than just a grind, which it can be during the week. So Right. You're just like, oh, we got to eat again. Again. I was like, we just did that. 
that? Right. <laughs> Where's the help? Where's the staff? I know. Yes. Jeeves. <laughs> I know. I'm, I always call for the butler who uh, always seems to have the day off. I know, right? <laughs> well, that's all for this episode of Semi Together. Tell us about the ways you are practicing mindfulness or riding emotional waves during this time. Email us at podcast at semitogether.com or send us a voice memo. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to leave us a review or share the podcast with a friend who'd enjoy it. Thanks for listening to Semi Together. And take it from us, you have it more together than you think you do. We tend to record mostly straight through, but Jill and I will stumble at some point and just start the sentence over, and that's totally fine. I'm just going to try my best not to have any, you know... Yeah, <laughs> we can always bleach because this time, you know, I have young children and there are plenty of those flying around these days. I'm like, they're gonna come out of this with a sailor's mouth. But it's bound to happen eventually with me it's around. Fine. We can bleep anything that needs to be bleeped. Everyone understands. I, I'm, I'm just rough around the edges right now, especially. Mm-hmm. For sure. For we sure. all are. Yes. <laughs>